Welcome to Clinically Impressed, the show where we dive deep into the world of social work, mental health, and everything in between. We are your hosts, Rebecca and Ashley, and we will explore various social work topics with the use of insight, guests, and lots of curse words. I'm thrilled to have you join the chaos coordinators today. I'm Ashley, MSW grad, clinical therapist, and formally did time in the CPF trenches. And I'm Rebecca, LCSW, clinical therapist, doctoral student, and also served some time for CPS. Before we jump into today's topic, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast so you never miss out on the newest episodes. And if you enjoy what you hear, leave us a good review. If you don't, then don't. Be f***ing real. And let's get started on today's topic. Welcome to season one, episode one of Clinically Impressed, first ever podcast. Episode one. Okay, so today we're going to get into why we wanted to start the podcast. That's interesting. I feel like I've been wanting to do this podcast for a really long time. We've been talking about it for a long like time. at least since 2020. <laughs> yes, definitely been talking about it a long time. But I think our topics for this this type of podcast platform changed as we changed jobs. For sure. I think when, when we were partners and working together, it was absolutely more about like talking about the work and talking about social work and practice and ethics. And I think as we have gone through our practice evolved. to get evolved, <laughs> yes, as we've, as we've evolved, it's definitely become more of what the fuck are we doing, man? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it out. There's all these people, all these social workers out there just trying to survive mm-hmm. in the, the different challenges that come with this type of work. For sure. And I think that's that's one of the reasons that motivated me anyway to want to talk about things like this on the podcast because all the podcasts I've heard of out there don't have a lot of real meat and potatoes of social work. I just feel like it's like lectures. Like, no hate. This is not a hate account. This is all love to the <laughs> social work <laughs> podcast. But to me, when I because I do listen to them, it's all about practice and mm. theories of social work and being change makers and community meso macro of social work. It's not me as an individual as a social worker, trying to figure my shit out, out here. It's really a lot of positive, like positive psychology. Is that what it's called? <laughs> I, I like to call that a little toxic positivity. Toxic posi- positivity. Yeah. Where, where they're just trying to hype up the, you know, social work is good for change. And I've listened to the same podcast yeah. you've listened to, and they're very soft in their voice and they're very pro. You're not going to find that here. <laughs> but this is more like, why can't we talk about the real problems? Absolutely. And there's laws as to why we can't talk about the real stuff, but we're going to be as confidential as possible. But I think talking about our own experiences would be good. Mm-hmm. And then our own, not just how do we deal with social work and at work, but how do we deal with our real life while trying to save people all day? Because that's how I view my job. The healers are healing. Oh, the, the helping. Helping. <laughs> Helping the healers heal. God. What, was that? what was that training we went to a long time ago? I don't know, but it is always helping the healers and healing people need healed mm-hmm. and accurate. But God, corny as fuck, though. <laughs> That's actual facts because we have, um, we're like putting a Band-Aid on social workers. Yeah. And I think that's it's a gushing wound. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, while we're out there bleeding on other people, how do we figure out why we're bleeding? You know, what do we, that's the the concept of these type of podcast talks with us. Yeah, absolutely. So why we're here, able to vent, kind of bring awareness as to what's really going on out there for workers. And I think so much of social work is always going to be about our vulnerable populations that we serve because it Mm -hmm. is, that's what, that's why we went to school. That's why we do what we do. But 
I've told a million parents as before, can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. And, and we are the last people to take that kind of advice. No, yeah, absolutely not. I'm giving you the last drops of my water while I'm over here like Spongebob dry as fuck. Oh, this is all I have. <laughs> I, I've said that a thousand times before. Like, I will give clients every piece of me and then I'll be dead the rest of the day. Go back to the office, mm-hmm. you hear something horrible about something that happened to a kid or some parent. And I got nothing for that. I got no emotions for you. But then you also don't have enough people surrounding you that can actually help with that situation either. We're the last people to ask for help. Kind of like doctors mm. don't want to go to their own doctors. No, God. I'm not getting therapy. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Talk about my problems. You know, <laughs> the worst part about being a social worker is actually talking to other social workers. Yes. Or people who think they're social workers. <laughs> We're going to get entitled protection later. <laughs> I, don't get me heated. Um, but no, I'm telling, like, you know, when you come back and you need to tell one of your peers, a whole, like, oh my God, I had a shit day. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. You ever find yourself in competition with somebody else on who had a worst day? Yeah. Like who can <laughs> shit better? It's, it's definitely me today. Oh God. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah. Oh, you could tell somebody the worst possible story ever. Some horrible natural disaster and all death and war and famine. And they're like, oh, you think that was bad check this out yeah i guess what happened to me yeah and then all of a sudden you're just bonding over trauma instead of actually (laughs) dealing with the stuff that you came here to deal with so oh the trauma bond runs so deep yes okay so we're gonna stop skating around today's topic yes and it's really about burnout and social work practice what's been your experience with burnout Ooh. I feel covered in burns, really. I mean, I'm in the, I live in the burn unit, so I don't know. I see you every day, baby. Um, I don't know, tough one, because I feel like, I feel good now. Truly, I don't think I've ever fully experienced what I think burnout is. But my expectation of what burnout is probably different from like the norm, from the civilians, from the normal people. Um. Because when I think of burnout, I think you quit your job, you are now a bartender in some <laughs> restaurant, like you full left. So, But I think that there's, so for me, there's levels of burnout. And I think I went through a few levels, had some burns, but stayed. Mm-hmm. And I hopefully, no, not hopefully, I definitely never experienced the full scope of compassion fatigue probably a little bit because i think no matter what in social work just like cops and fire you have to you have to have some type of um i don't want to say you have to have compassion fatigue but you have to have some type of secondary trauma yes that's what burns people out yes and it's i don't want to lose every feeling i have i still want to be able to give emotions to people and to truly care as much Mm -hmm. as i possibly can but if you cared with every ounce of your being, with every horrible thing that's told you, you just couldn't wake up in the morning. You couldn't go to work. And some people can't. I mean, yeah, this job's not for everybody, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But burnout is like that. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. People experience different stages of burnout. And I really think it depends on a lot of different issues, oh, why okay. people become burnt out, mm-hmm. you know. So what what are the levels that you've experienced as far as burnout? I think... It started to, I noticed it for me when I would go home and I would be asked by my boyfriend at the time about, you know, tell him about your day. And regular people almost find a little bit about what we do in social work fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
burn. They eat it up. Yeah. They're like, like tell me more. Oh and I'm like, I got you, baby. I they got did. You. Why? <laughs> then what happened? You know, like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, you're telling them, you know, the script to some Jerry Springer show, which <laughs> is legit. But... Once I found, you know, being asked about that and just thinking about retelling any part of my day was exhausting. Mm-hmm. Like the thought of retelling it. And that's when I think I first started to notice, like I couldn't even talk about work anymore. Mm-hmm. I was just, uh, like I wasn't physically tired. But you were almost like disassociating as soon as you went home. You're like, yeah, 100%. I need to, I need to focus on something else. What job? Yeah. I'm not a social worker. <clears throat> But then, you know, working in CPS, it came with the ties of, like, always having your second phone on you. And then, like, you could never, like, get rid of the second phone. And you're like, oh, my gosh, the anxiety just. I'm so guilty about that. All is so big. Yes. I was so guilty about that. Never turning it off. That phone probably didn't turn off for years. And that probably has a lot to do with burnout. Yeah. But it did to myself. Never being off. Yeah. But I think that's not just something you did to yourself. I don't know many CPS social workers who actually turn their phone off after five o'clock. Maybe a handful of all the people that I've worked with before would ever do that. And Those I think are some that's, healthy bitches, man. But exactly. Some mm-hmm. really good boundaries. Everyone else, I think, you know, lose boundaries. They don't want to turn their phone off after mm-hmm. five o'clock. So they're always ready and they hear the buzz go off and they pick it up and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know what? I need to... I need to answer this text real quick, real quick. And then it's free time yeah. because they're not going to record any of the time that they actually did something after hours. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, they never get to shut off. No. Yeah. Um, the, I don't know if you ever did this and this was the biggest mistake. I made it for a couple years. years. Uh, checking your phone, texts and emails Sunday night before Monday morning. That I can say I can say I've never done that, but I did have Sunday blues all the time. Oh yeah, Sunday so, scaries, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So even just thinking about checking my emails, I was just like, just wanting to lay in bed and just rot away. On oh Sunday. god, I was so stupid. I had convinced myself that if I looked at my phone on Sunday night and I could read the text messages and check the emails, that I would be better prepared going into Monday morning. And you just Which, don't know. <laughs> that's so stupid. No, what I really had was anxiety, all that no. crippling anxiety for the entire night. And then I would just have nightmares, which, believe me, I had nightmares. Yes. Anyway, <clears throat> but those would just be much, much worse. So I would get horrible sleep, go into Monday, already panicked, already mm-hmm. pissed, already stressed. And it's not even 7.30 on Monday morning. And then you feel compelled to just start writing notes and like writing reports. Mm -hmm. And like, you're like, you know what? I'm basically already here Monday. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to start Sunday night. I'm just doing it. Yeah. I'm just starting Sunday night. Yes. Yes. Golly. My experience with burnout, I think it, it like definitely compounded over time. Yeah. I think when I first started as the brand new baby social worker, I was like, I'm ready to do everything. I'll do everything. I was working weekends. I was like, this is great. Overtime is great. I'm out there helping people, saving people. But I think I really didn't experience it until um, after my grad program. Mm. When I was like working full time, I was doing MSW program while working and then had an internship and I couldn't even... I can't even think about how I even survived all of that. That's, That's just crazy. Nuts. Yeah, nuck and fets. Um, I think a big part of that is the fact that you didn't have the time to give. We are so guilty of sacrificing like personal time, but mm. suddenly you have the other internship, which is basically a second job, and you have school. So when you 
realistically don't have the time to give, that's when you start to feel how much time you're already giving to your main job. Yeah. And I think what I, one thing I did learn about myself through that time is that I placed a lot of value in everything that I could get done in a day. And so like my productivity and and the way that I felt about myself wasn't, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel good at the end of the day if I wasn't able to help people or if I wasn't able to do a certain amount of tasks. And that compounded on top of my burnout I was already feeling but then surprise I get a promotion Ah. into supervisory land which is something I (laughs) always dreamed of that was supposed to save us (laughs) it was supposed to save us but I definitely had like 17 roles all in one and I think that's where the burnout started being becoming a physical manifestation in my body anyways like I was getting migraines every day mm-hmm. i was not sleeping i don't sleep what is that like mm-hmm. i don't even never know. heard of her no. exactly <laughs> so like i was up until midnight and then had to be at work you know four hours five hours later to go do something at the job and mm-hmm. i just it was nightmares it was gaining weight oh my mm-hmm. god we don't even talk about that like you just gain a bunch of weight when you're working <laughs> in this type of field it's really hard to maintain work-life balance which is funny because you rarely get lunch so i don't know where to fuck exactly it's all that from. anxiety just build up my fat. Levels are high. <laughs> um yeah that's that's so true um and then i thought i was eating healthy like we'll just talk about that like okay <laughs> protein with coffee in the morning and then like Lunchtime came and that's the only time we ate. Mm-hmm. And then, how the hell did I gain so much weight in that time? That's crazy. I'm looking back at pictures of myself. I'm like, dude, that's trauma story. I, I, I love you. Looking, <laughs> looking at past pictures and be like, look at that skinny little baby fucking social worker. That bitch, she has no idea. Oh, she has no idea what's coming. To this day, I still love your original photo for. Shut up. <laughs> Oh, my God. What Ashley is now commenting on is my original ID badge. And I had <laughs> the best haircut. I did have the best haircut. It was <laughs> Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It was that undercut. So the barber would do a, a two, I think, buzz, basically. And then I had the top. And it was the cutest. It was very short. It felt like a little Thumbelina. But it was that little girl who looked at my badge that one time and said, ooh, is that your boyfriend? God. And I was like, no, that's me. And she's like, no, that's, that's a boy. A cute little. Mm. Well, that's the last time Rebecca used that bad <laughs> I still have the same picture. So, you've done transition to so many different jobs that you kept that original photo. I can't get rid of it. I think that's like the thing they do I to think you should just send, it, send a new photo to HR and be like, please help me. <laughs> Someone save me from this haircut. Not only that, I'm wearing a bright pink pulp sure a blouse and a highlighter yellow cardigan i mean that photo is everything dude it really is the best photo it really is you um, gave me like the hair it just gave me some like johnny bravo vibes you know how he's like you're such so a bitch right now <laughs> <laughs> it's not johnny bravo okay, i'm not saying you're johnny bravo but he definitely had the same like look uh, i was trying to think i don't even, i can't even picture who i was trying to be i don't know that was a baby that was baby social worker days a lot of change with us. I had to have short hair. I was in the streets, man. In the streets. <laughs> I was doing the work. <laughs> so, you know, burnout for me ended up causing me, you know, some of the things that 
led to me leaving mm-hmm. the CPS trenches because mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out how to balance between how do I do all this stuff? Because yeah. not only did I have just a supervisor role and I was responsible for other people, but I was also responsible for families still. Ugh, and yeah. so with all of that together, I felt like I had to, I had to sacrifice something and that sacrifice with social workers is always yourself. Yeah. Facts. Um, I think the, my family started to become really affected by my burnout accidentally. Like I had no idea it was happening. And when I say family, bleh, what I really mean is the guy I was living with at the time. <laughs> May he rest on wherever he is. <laughs> but I'll never, yes. I mean, not peace, but. Rest um, in prosperity. <laughs> I remember coming home so traumatized from the day that I had had. And, you know, because you got to be careful with what you say. You can't really tell everyone everything of what you did. And, I mean, I was giving this dude PG of the day that I had had. Mm -hmm. And he mid-sentence, like, puts his hand up. You know, like that, like, shh, shh. Like, pause. Yeah. And he did that to me. And he was like, I can't hear anymore. I was like, oh. And I was just thinking, like, this ain't even half or what happened. But okay. And he was like, no, seriously, you got to stop. I just can't, Mm. I can't hear it anymore. And he didn't mean what I was saying right then. He meant all of it. He couldn't hear it anymore. So I went next day, went to work, kind of like bummed. Like I just shut the fuck up for the rest of the night. I was all petty, Mm -hmm. like all mad, which is dramatic. But that's how I felt. And then the next day, I went to my mentor who had worked there for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And she basically said, oh, you can't talk about any of this at home. And it was so heartbreaking. Like yeah. It was heartbreaking too, though. A little mm-hmm. heartbroken light bulb of like, oh, no shit. We can't. I mean, duh. Of course we can't. And then also like, that's so sad. No, I can't. I can't even go home and really talk about my day. So what I started to do was when, because of course, your person is going to say like, how was your day? What mm-hmm. was your day? You don't want to keep everything from them. So then I just started talking about like the people I worked with, like coworkers. Mm-hmm. That's all I talked about. My boss, coworkers. Yeah. Like, it was almost like he probably thought mm-hmm. I had an office job after that. Mm-hmm. Like, I was basically, you know, Pam. Yeah. Just talked about Dwight and Jim all day. Yeah. <laughs> Dwight and Jim. Um, I think that that's, that's something that does impact a lot of our families, like our personal families and mm-hmm. friends, because you change. I mean, the minute you get home from this type of traumatic job, you change to just the shell of a person. Absolutely. And I remember Alfie having the same conversation with me. Mm. And he said, I can't, I can't hear any more of this. Yeah. This is, this is a lot for me to carry. And I, I just remember feeling so upset. Like, how dare you? I have to carry this shit by myself. It's so real. And I have to come home and not be able to talk about my shit with you. Yeah. But in hindsight. Hindsight. They didn't go to school for social work. No, they didn't agree to this. They didn't agree for secondary trauma or no. what is it? Like tertiary, tertiary trauma. I love that word. I feel so smart when I say it. I know. Oh, tertiary trauma. It's actually yeah. a new word for me this year. So um, besides that. But, but wait, yeah. hold on. Pause really fast. I, I used to not remember how to spell that word. And so every time I couldn't remember it. You I would the third? No, hold on. <laughs> every I would go to Google. And I would type in second is to secondary as third is to. And Google would give me the word. <laughs> I mean, that's brilliant because how I'm else saying, are you going to put it? I'm you saying. can't spell it, so you can't ask Google to help. I'm saying, to yeah. spell it. Sponsored by Google. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep going. Sorry. Well, sure. Basically, yeah, we're giving that kind of burnout to, to our 
partners, our yeah. spouses, even our parents, our families, our friends. Anyone with everybody, everybody feels it. But, you know, as social workers, especially in CPS, you hold so much trauma in. Yeah. And you're like, okay, just one more day. Like, I got to get through another day. Oh, you got to make it till the next holiday. Yeah. Next vacation. Yeah. It's, always, it's survival mode completely. Completely. Because vacation is no longer self-care. Vacation is... Escape. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Well, because you're... They all, I hate the phrase, or I hate the expression like, oh, you take a vacation to recharge. Oh, so that means yeah. you take a vacation when your battery is dead. I don't want to go on vacation on a dead battery. I like to do a bunch of shit on vacation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have my, I want my battery charged when yeah. I head out. I remember my first vacation I took when I came to CPS. It was, it was a staycation. I didn't go anywhere. I and I took you. off for like Christmas break. And it was like a year and a half after I started mm-hmm. working. And I just remember the first three days of the vacation, I slept. Uh, like, there was no there was no going anywhere. I physically could not get up. Yeah. And I, I knew that this was taking a toll on me, but I, I didn't think that I was as bad as I was, mm-hmm. really. And so, fast forward to now, we're in totally different positions, and we've allowed our time ourselves to kind of heal from that secondary trauma. But I think I'm learning so much more about... What does self-care actually really even mean? For real, yes. I I have a lot on this topic, actually. Um, Okay, before we get into what is self-care, let's talk about what is not self-care. Taking a vacation to recharge your battery. Yeah, that's one, yes. Not self-care. Yes. I will, I talk to workers a lot, and I'll, I've asked that question, like, oh, what is self-care? And one of the main answers that I get is, oh, it's when I get to, I, after I come back from the field or whatever, talk to my coworkers, and I have to be like, what kind of conversations are you having? Mm-hmm. And it's, they're not doing it purposefully, and they're not processing anything. It's what we talked about earlier. It's that, like, competition of what happened today and really talking shit on everything Mm -hmm. that went down and oh this was so crazy and it's that's not self-care that's just a toxic conversation that you're having this is just like process recordings in like yeah in like college when we had to process record something that we went through Mm -hmm. but it was only talking to yourself because you're only writing the paper yeah and if i'm just retelling what i did today without gaining insight or perspective from someone else because social workers are not therapists to one another. Mm-hmm. All we are is trauma bonded. And so yeah. all you do is just circle down the drain of trauma. And you can't you can't get out because all you're doing is talking to other people who are in the same situation as you. Mm-hmm. And you're not really processing anything. You're mm-hmm. not really healing from anything. You're not like, you know, in those little, hey, you should probably go talk to someone that the county offers for you know, therapy mm. for your six free brief sessions um, is not really healing either. Mm. You know, how do you heal and how do you practice self-care with this type of complex trauma in mm. your job? Mm. What does self-care mean to you? I, that's, I think that's a perfect question is what does it mean to you? Mm-hmm. Because it could mean something different for everybody. Like I really like to go on very rigorous hikes, but that could be a nightmare for somebody else. And that's not self-care. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just defining what is and is not for who you are individually. I think that's true. For me, one of the biggest things self-care wise is I don't think it's an actual like 
like, oh, like a lot of people say, I need, I'm going to go shopping. Mm. That's my self-care. Well, could it also be self-sabotage? Yeah. Is that an anxious response yeah. where you're just trying to fill a void? This is and- what I want to do. This is my self-care. I work so hard. Like you don't have to justify the things that you do to take care of yourself. Well, when you start to justify, I think people justify things that are bad. And so True. if you are saying like you ever do some, oh, it's like when you're on a diet. And perfect example, you want to splurge and you want to have really just like a binge eating situation because you feel crappy because mm-hmm. you've been so restricted and then you start to talk to yourself. You're like, I deserve this. I was so good yesterday. Yeah. I deserve to add be extra bad Reese's today. peanut butter cups in my sonic blast. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, none of that really serves you, but it's it's that part of I can do this today because I deserve it. But mm-hmm. what you're saying is I can do something wrong today because mm-hmm. I was good yesterday. Yeah. So then why are you doing that self-care if it's wrong, if you know that it is, or it's bad for you? And then it just reaps anxiety afterwards because mm-hmm. then you feel guilt and all that stuff. But, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but <laughs> self-care isn't always just the, the action. Sometimes it's the things that you aren't already doing for yourself. So for me, boundaries was a huge thing for mm-hmm. self-care. I had to start creating boundaries with people who were – draining me taking away that physical energy or like wanting to have toxic conversations all the time or wanted to um like do unhealthy things and I'm like I don't those type of people drain me Mm -hmm. and so part of self-care is boundaries maybe you need to create some boundaries in your life with people who are constantly taking the energy from you outside of your workplace or even inside of your workplace sometimes Mm -hmm. we have to Create boundaries with people we actually work with. I had to do it. It's hard. Those are the weirdest types of breakups you'll ever have. Yeah, because then you see them the next day over and over and over again. It's hard to maneuver. Yeah, because a boundary is not telling someone else how to act. A boundary is changing how you act. Exactly. Oh, it's hard work. Hard, hard work. And and the people who, what is that saying? The people who don't respect your boundaries were the ones that were breaking them anyway. Oh, yeah. Took advantage of them anyways. Yes. Which is totally true. Oh, yeah. And why did it take me 31 years to actually know what that meant? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's true. And I think it's, um, I say that to clients all the time for, as a therapist, I'll talk about, once you start like your healing journey and pe- once you're starting to get better and you're healing, people who get upset by that are the people who are benefiting by your unhealthy habits. Yeah. And it's it's really similar too with people with boundaries. I think we we think we're above certain things that we have to actually not put any boundaries in place, like boundaries of work. Maybe mm-hmm. you have to be off at five o'clock. Because you have to. Mm-hmm. You have to disconnect and you have to be able to refresh and be ready for the next day. Mm-hmm. You have to do it. And I know people are probably listening saying like, well, it's just not possible. We're understaffed and overworked. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I So, yes, we have, I think, pro- a slightly different opinions on this because yeah. I think it definitely depends on the type of social work job that you have. Mm-hmm. So those jobs that require you to not abandon your post or if you're labeled as a first responder, that's where the difference is for me. Mm-hmm. The difference, it does depend on the type of social work that you do. I would have to agree with yeah. that. But if it's like, if it's like a normal day yeah, where you don't have to have anything past five mm-hmm. and you're not out on an emergency or anything like yeah. that, then you should probably give yourself some good boundaries in that way. It's that like inner turmoil because you'll never be done 
but you'll always want to do more. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think it was my first social work boss. It was out in Kansas. And they told she told me um, that it's the same thing. Like, you'll never be done at the end of the day. You'll never have all of your work done. Mm-hmm. But it's about being reasonably behind. <laughs> Can you manage how far behind you are? Because you'll just never like be at the at the front of it. You'll never be ahead of any of it. It's not possible. Not in this line of work. No. And if anyone comes into this field with that type of complex, they maybe need to like start in CPS <laughs> where they're always gonna be behind. Let's just give them some gosh. What is that? What kind of therapy is that called? Exposure. Let's give them some exposure Let's therapy just right away. Expose them right to the trauma. Jeez, that I honestly mean, I do think everyone should start in CPS just to get that exposure. And then like it really does branch out. Yeah. From those types of avenues. Well, well, because when you're in CPS, anywhere in the country, you are dealing with everything. Substance use, veterans, domestic violence, sexual mm-hmm. abuse. I mean, it's every type of bad thing that can happen. And every age group. Like every age order. group. Every demographic. I mean. It's all inclusive. Man. It's, yeah. You want experience? You better. This is not a recruitment strategy. For <laughs> For this is a CPS Dan account. So. Um, no, no, no. I know what you're saying, though. And let me just say that when I was in college, and it was my it's my undergrad program, we I was in the social work club. I wasn't the president, though. Um, <laughs> I don't even know we had clubs. I did. In my program, we did. We had social work. Because there are social work t-shirts. I remember I bought one. It was so stupid. It was a cartoon of someone sitting at a desk with, like, a 10-foot pile of papers in front of them. Oh and then gosh, it said that something. Floats everywhere. I know, it's so stupid. And it said something. I don't know what it said, but it said something. And I just remember being like, this shirt's stupid, I'm not buying this. I bought it, of course. But um <laughs> <Do you laughs> but still then, own it. That's no god. Oh, okay. no, no. Um but I remember the president had made this sign. She was like trying to recruit or something. She was going to, you know, when the underclassmen go to like the I mean, like the conference at the school and there's all the different programs are set up, like little like almost oh, like a hiring conference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to get kids to come to our program. Kids. She was trying to get underclassmen to come to our programs. Those youngins. And um, she had made this sign. It was so ridiculous. And on there, it said something like, we don't just steal babies. Oh, <gasps> I didn't even. I, mean, I was like 22. So I didn't even. I barely even knew what CPS was. No, I knew what CPS was because of A Child Called It. That's a fantastic book. Everybody should read yeah. that. I don't know a single social worker who hasn't read that book. But... So I knew what SCPS was because of yeah. that book and because of the program. And I could not believe she put that on there. That's bold. So me and my friend used to make fun of it all the time when we would see her. And we made up this little, like, silly cheer. I can't even think about it. My friend Lindsay would do this, like, jump. And she'd be like, we don't just steal babies. We're more. And, then, <laughs> and it was so horrible. But my point is, is that call, it starts in college. This toxic villainous view of cps workers Mm. the professors are kind of giving that out there and i mean the program does that too Mm -hmm. the idea i think is they're trying to explain like social work is such a broad career choice Mm -hmm. and you can do anything within that scope and somehow cps is just the villain. The, yes, just the lowest down there, and that's just what the, the extras go there. If you can't get this job, ugh, yeah. CPS will hire you. Mm-hmm. Which, They'll take anybody. 
Ugh. Which I guess is a thought process. Like you can always work there mm-hmm. because turnover is so high because the trauma is so bad. So yes, of course they do hire Systemic so often, issues. but it's because it's, you know, it's a difficult job to do and one that you have to definitely be mentally prepared mm-hmm. for. And not everyone is meant for every single job. So just because you get hired doesn't mean that it was the one for you. Mm-hmm. And just like, uh, I mean, I like to, I, it's my favorite thing is to compare them to cops and fire because it's, both I mean, we're at the same house. Yeah. So we're at the same house. Yeah. Both important. Just um, def- yeah. Obviously, definitely different sides to the gambit. We come in when they walk outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like that, I mean, not everyone's built for that job either. You have to be able to slightly desensitize because you were about to sit in front of someone and hear the most traumatic thing that they've ever gone through and you have to carry it with you you have to leave and write it down again and then report it to someone else and stand up for them and advocate for them and so it's it's definitely a lot of work and it's one that you have to be really Mm -hmm. careful with it's Mm -hmm. it's like you take little bites of trauma and swallow it every time that you meet with a family that has such traumatic experience or even if you have a traumatic experience in social work you're taking a bite of it yeah and then it's going into your body Mm -hmm. and that's where your body keeps it it's true you know and that's another part of the self-care journey is knowing your body because i think one of the things that happened to me was being disconnected Mm -hmm. from your body like i don't even i didn't even know for example, like I didn't go to the dentist for like two or three years. We're so bad at that. Like and medical appointments, dentists. This is the self care I'm talking about. Yes. Like we need to be purposeful about maintaining our health because I've seen a lot of social workers have strokes, heart attacks, yeah. get diabetes, have a lot of like physical health issues because they're not eating healthy. Mm-hmm. They're not exercising. They're not going to medical appointments. Mm-hmm. They're not going to dental appointments. Mm-hmm. They're not. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I'm going to go get a massage for self-care. Actually, great. That is, I guess, good. But maybe also, why don't you schedule that yearly physical? Exactly. When was yeah. the last time you gave blood work? Yeah. Did you, did you get your teeth cleaned in the mm-hmm. last six months? Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's so true, though. Because self-care, in a way, is, um, what's the term for that? It's like... Um, being able like, to do like um treat yourself is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um treat yourself, which is a great thing to do, obviously. Yes. But that's a treat. Self-care is keep taking care, care of, of yourself. yourself. Showering every day, mm-hmm. getting a healthy night's sleep. Yes. Yes. Eating just... healthy meals, going on a walk, mm-hmm. going on an exercise excursion or whatever you want to do. Yoga. Yeah. Yoga's great. Yoga's great. It's really great for that release of trauma. I used to think this is crazy. I don't want to do yoga. And I went and did hot yoga for the first time. And let me tell you, it is the most healing thing I've ever done. Yes. That very first time I felt so silly, silly and ridiculous. I was just a silly goose bending over and doing things. And then every time after I was like, yeah, yeah. Cause I have a very loud inner monologue that does not stop. And the only time I have gotten it to stop is on like physically rigorous hikes or mm-hmm. hot yoga. Yeah. Cause like I'm dying. Yeah, it's like and all I can hear degrees. is her with her, you know, the, vinyasa. 
the, the, the voice <laughs> and the healing and the, the warrior two, like warrior wonderful, two, wonderful. One, star pose. Oh. And then the little Kong thing that she like Oh does. my God, I need that. Oh, it's like so magical. I feel like I'm getting cleansed every time I sit <laughs> And then they spray it. peppermint on your toes. Oh my gosh, that's great. <laughs> but sometimes I think it's cleaning stuff, but I'm not really sure. Maybe they're saying That's right. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be mad about it, honestly. It can get funky in there. I have smelled some in and out even <laughs> <laughs> some, people, some people stank in it. Oh I don't my know, god! I say. But point is, I lost track of my own physical journey. Mm. I gained like forty pounds. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been to the doctor in like two to three years. Mm-hmm. I had chronic migraines, and I'm like, why am I taking Excedrin every day? Ended up getting some sort of sickness because all I did was take Excedrin on yeah. an empty stomach, which is totally not healthy. What okay. lining to your stomach is gone. Exactly. Yeah. Gone. Nothing in there. Um, too bad I didn't take all the fat with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I stopped going to the gym. Mm-hmm. I, stopped, yeah. I stopped going to the dentist mm-hmm. because why? Why am I going to... When I took time off, I felt so guilty. Mm. And then self-care just totally out the window. The amount of cleanings I have missed and called and been like, I got an emergency. I'm so sorry. Like, blah, blah, blah. Gotta go. One appointment I kept for the dentist, I think you will remember, is that I left. And then they, like, surprise, gave me a bunch of shots and had to do something. I don't even remember what they did. And I came back and I was all swollen up. And I had to Shut up. I wasn't drooling. God. I was drooling a little. I had a napkin. But I, you were leading that meeting, yeah. and I hadn't. I don't think I had told you I was swollen when I came in, and I was like trying to be all discreet and stuff. And then you asked me a question. I had to talk over to all those people, and, and I was like, like I was like, couldn't even. You, you had my face, all yeah. Of a sudden, your my whole mouth was numb. Oh my god, it, those dentists like surprise you. Maybe that's why we don't like going because you can't. Well, because they're only open eight to five. Well, guess what I'm doing eight to five every day. Work. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But you know what? A lot of the social workers I know accrue so much sick in vacation time that they have the time to be able to go. True. But there's that, of course, the guilt and the, the shame that you feel. Yeah. Guilt and shame feeling that. But maybe the number one takeaway from this podcast episode is that we need to be able to reconnect to self-care. Self-care yeah. isn't just... Going and buying yourself expensive stuff, no. buying a new car. No. It isn't going on vacations, which it could be, you know, in addition to actually taking care of your physical body. Yeah, a higher level of self-care. Mm-hmm. What's the foundation of self-care? And it's the body that you live in. Medical, yeah. dental, vision appointments. Mm-hmm. You know, what? make sure you're all right before you can go. You can't give a broken body to, you know... The people you're trying to heal. Yeah, a broken social worker is not going to heal mm-hmm. a family. Yeah. What about taking your kids to their medical appointments, dental mm. appointments, vision appointments? I bet those things are probably happening yeah. over taking care of yourself. Exactly. Because we we are the best self-neglectors. Mm. Coin it. Self-neglector. Yeah. We are a self- <laughs> the biggest self-neglectors. We just put ourselves on the back burner just to help everybody else. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you can go get your nails done and your hair done and your toes done. That's great. But are you going to the doctor? I Well, that's true. And I think a lot of some self-care does become about external and visual. Do yeah. I look like I got it together? Like a Band-Aid. Yeah. Oh, it's a pretty Band-Aid, too. Yeah. With the 
gushing, oozing right. trauma that just coming out of the sides of that shit. Yeah, that's but inside I got MRSA. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I remember having to deal with clients with MRSA sometimes. I have had that before. Oh my god, I have, to, I have to suit up and boot up. I'm just saying, like you have boots. I have boots on. I had. A whole bodysuit on, a mask. Anyways, we're getting off topic. God, has mask. <laughs> I felt All right. like I was like on Monsters Inc. trying to figure <gasps> out what the sock was, <laughs> but it was MRSA. <laughs> Surprise! Oh my God. <laughs> a child. A child. Uh, okay, so takeaways. Takeaways from today. Takeaways from today is. Uh, the healers healing people doesn't work if you're not healing yourself. Mm. Pretty much. Yeah, gotta be hold and healed. Hold and healed. <laughs> hold, W-H, hold and yeah. healed. We don't want to mistake that for holy and healing. But, yeah. I mean, you could. It's just being able to to take care of your own physical body because you're going to be losing teeth in the field and you're going to be like, oh, I'll I'll still have, I still stuff. have those nightmares. <laughs> I lose teeth in my dreams. So, yeah, self-care has levels, but definitely taking care of the foundation so you don't crack. Mm-hmm. And no amount of healers helping the healers training or whatever, drawing <laughs> some crazy stuff on a piece of paper is going to be able to help you heal. Although, unless you school, listen, because I mean, you have to go to those trainings because I mean, how many times we go to those trainings and leave and didn't take anything that they said? Well, that that's another systemic problem in and of itself, mm. because you're almost you're almost shamed and guilted into not being able to do that mm. because you have to have your phone on and your emails up and you're behind on work and all this stuff. And like in that type of field for social work, mm-hmm. that's just the norm. You don't get to go in and learn anything. When I transitioned to this new job, I was able to actually heal. I actually had the supervisor after about like two months of being at this new position. She was like. I'm sorry, Ashley. I know that you really love social work and I know that you came from like the trenches, but you're like a thick block of ice and mm. I need you to thaw out. Damn. And I was like, <clears throat> excuse me? <laughs> what are you talking about? The best Don't social work ever. Speak to me like that. <laughs> and then after a few weeks, I kind of realized what she meant. I was so high strung. I couldn't come down off oh, that anxiety. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't. Return to baseline. That's what I tell my clients. Yeah. I, I had a hard time returning to baseline, but it took me like two, three months. I could see that for sure. You just get so hard. Yeah. So quickly. And then you, you get this anxiety about like, I should be doing something. Yes. It kind of reminds me. Do you remember right when you graduated, you were done with school and mm-hmm. like that first couple weeks, you felt the sense of like, is there an assignment? Is, don't I have an assignment to you? Mm-hmm. That takes so long to go away. And I felt that every single day at CPS, mm-hmm. there was always, and there, I mean, it's true because there's always something to do. Always. And they're really, ha- you have to have, uh, I don't know what type of training. I mean, sooner or later, I'll come up with the type of training. For sure. Yeah. That has to be done. <laughs> but it's, and it's so much that we do to ourselves. We went to that training and what did we do? We took our phones with us. We looked at our phones. Mm-hmm. No one told us to do that, but we did because we felt like we were supposed to. But why did we feel that way? I think there's an urgency in that job. Like mm-hmm. if I don't get it done, who else is going to do it? There's a report due. There's notes that needed to do. I need to close this. I shouldn't even be at this training. I should have just canceled because mm-hmm. I have so many things to do. And it's like this inner monologue yeah. that just runs in our mind. And we can't just put anything down. No. So. Got reasonably behind. That's today's takeaway. Reasonably behind. Yes. <laughs> or manageably behind something. 
I'll get it. I'll get there. (laughs) We'll talk about systemic issues in another episode. (laughs) Well, thank you all for joining today's Clinically Impressed Episode 1, Season 1, Beginning of the Greatness. And we hope to see you soon. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Bye. And that's a wrap for today's topic. If you want to stay in the loop of anything new and exciting happening with this crazy duo, be sure to follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Clinically Impressed. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to stay connected, stay hydrated, and always practice safe social work.